Welcome to the space in between. And today we have our guest, David Richards, who will be sitting with me in just a moment. He is a really interesting character. I had such a good time meeting him and I get to share him with you all today. He's a veteran, a yogi and an author and just an all around interesting human being. And I really enjoyed listening to his process of writing and and how he kind of just brought it out to the world. And And if you're out there wondering if you too should be writing a book, as you know, I've been sharing a little bit of my journey of writing my book with my friend Anthony, who's writing his book, Uh, hopefully maybe it's inspiring you to share your story. So yeah, I hope you enjoy your time with David and and get a little bit of, of inspiration perhaps for yourself in some way. It doesn't have to be writing a book. Uh, And you know, I am offering my online course, Who Are You Becoming? As you know, uh, or maybe you don't know, it's a six-week self-paced course that you can join it at any time. This is a beautiful practice with my movement practice, Movement 109, that you can do on your own. There's videos there, playlists, but then also I have guided meditations and journal prompts to give you this expanded awareness of who you are. And then at the end of each each session or each week, there's real, real action steps that you can take to bring that expanded awareness, bring that kind of what's out in the ether into this realm, into this reality, so that you really step into who you are now. Uh, I'm really excited to be offering it as a self-paced course, but now I'm offering also an extra layer, which we originally did when I first started this course of month or weekly calls. So you can join me every week during the six weeks that you're diving into it with a small group where we connect each week and I give a little bit of mentoring. So if there's something that you're feeling stuck in, uh, I can give you some more specific action plans, different resources that might help you overcome any obstacles that are in your way. And you get to also meet other community members that are also diving into this practice of who they are becoming. So it's a really special, special program. And I love this element of the live where we all can connect. So you can go over and find out more about this at nomadalwaysathome.com, or you can even go directly to nomadalwaysathome.teachable.com. Uh, or find out more at my website, phoebeleona.com. So you have lots of options on how to find it. I'll have everything in the show notes for you. And let's go ahead and now sit with David. Okay, I'm here with David Richards. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Phoebe. Yeah, and... I am so excited because I usually have some sort of personal connection with people or I know them beforehand, but I don't know you at all. And we were just <laughs> talking a few minutes, you know, before and already, you know, making this this beautiful connection. And and you, like another guest that was on a little bit earlier, Amy uh, White. So I found you both through Stacy, your PR um, person. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and so I love that it wasn't even you reaching out to me or me reaching out to you. So it was just sort of this divine connection. So welcome. Um, and so let's just find out. Thank first. you so much. No. Yeah, let's just dive in and see who are you. Where are you today? <laughs> Oh my gosh, today, well, it's weird. So today is, um, it's my dad's, so my dad passed away 12 years ago. So today he would have been 81. So it's really kind of been some beautiful reflection on that. uh, And 
my mom lives here in town, so she's about three or four miles away from me. But she texted me earlier this morning that uh, there were three bluebirds at like a birdhouse they have in the backyard. And it was like a birdhouse my dad installed. So like it was this message. Mm-hmm. And like certainly with like some of the stuff that's happened this year, like my mom's tuned into my next book and things like that. So I'm, I'm like in a super good place. Like it's, 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 you know, with all that's happened this year, um, and certainly there's been traumatic for everyone dealing with the pandemic because it's something we've never done before, but it's also like what you make it. And for me, this has been such a personal journey into like, what does it really mean to love? And like, what's the ultimate expression of love? And that's part of what my, my next book is about. But um, short answer is I'm in a super great place. Good. I love that. That's good to know. Uh, and let's just kind of go back to your your background. So I know the little that I know about you, you were a Marine. And then you found your way, I mean, I'm just really watering it down so you can dive in deeper, but yeah. I read that you were a Marine and then you went into yoga at some point and, yep. and now you're out in the world as a life coach, correct? Yeah. So, um, so I grew up in the military. My dad was okay. a Marine. So I, and I didn't fully appreciate what that meant because I was just a kid yeah. and I didn't realize that like I was kind of it was almost like I was born into the Marines and I just didn't know it yet because yeah. it took me, you know, 22 years before I put a uniform on. Um, but I kind of got used to that way of life and the military way of life, at least for me growing up was move every two or three years, go to different parts of the country. I went to Japan when I was 10, mm-hmm. lived there for three years. And in some ways nowadays you think, well, that's pretty cool. It's not that strange, but that was 1979. And I would say probably, I don't know how big the U.S. was at the time, but maybe there were, you know, 30,000 families on Okinawa that were U.S. And so such an incredibly small percentage of the population had that experience. And for me, there's a, you know, life-changing experience, but um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I loved writing. I always loved, I was good. I was very creative. I loved comic books. You can see the Avengers stuff behind me on the wall. (laughs) Um, because that was my kind of outlet for things. And so like I turned internally like super creative and expressed myself and, um, but I didn't think like writing was something I could do as a way of life. I could just didn't think that was possible. Um, I liked Stephen King growing cool. up and I'm like, I'm not anywhere near what this guy has conjured up and you can, you know, get a scholarship to pay for school or go ROTC. So I went ROTC and, um, and that had its own trials and tribulations because uh, I wasn't going to join the Marines at first because I didn't like growing up in the military and the Marines in particular, because I blamed them for us moving all the time. Mm. Um, but it called to me because it was kind of the hardest thing to get into. Like you could get into the Navy, you could get into the army, the air force, the Marines you kind of had to apply for. And I applied the first time I didn't get it. Okay. And I was like, wait a minute, like I'm, I'm a legacy. Like my dad was a Marine, <laughs> wait a minute. And so I really like, but it, it kind of stoked this fire in me to like, to excel and to like push yourself and to challenge like what you believe is possible. Um, so I joined the Marines, went to Somalia, uh, probably, you know, I think I was in for about two years. By the time I went to Somalia, I was part of the first, the initial landing force in Operation Restore Hope in December of 1992. In fact, I just wrote about that in a blog. Um, But 
you know, I kept, what I realized at some point was I, I kind of pushed aside the writing part because I didn't think Marines could do that or it just didn't seem copacetic with what Marines were. And then I had a boss about 10 years into my career, I had a boss who painted and like he was a you know grizzled military police officer. He'd been a Boston street cop okay. and he painting is an office and I was just blown away. And like, we had this amazing relationship. We talk about like Achilles and like the history of warfare and stuff. Sorry. And it kind of got me right. I'm, I'm curious to know what he had, what he was painting. Um, you know, some of it was, well, I, I, I can't remember. Some of it, I think was like sort of warfare stuff, Okay. but I know like we were, I remember specifically there was like this CBS miniseries or something coming on about Helen of Troy and we were looking at it from it was going to be probably this like overly just dramatic romantic thing instead of really like about how amazing Achilles was this warrior. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to write a poem about Achilles. And I went home and I think it took me about two weeks, but I, I came back with this really it was kind of the first time I'd ever written something and found the voice of a character. And I found like this voice of Achilles that was really, really powerful. And so I showed it with my boss and he's like, this is amazing. And so like he wrote, he painted a painting of Achilles. It was like, he had a copy of the poem and then this painting of Achilles he put up in his office and it was super cool. But I realized what I had done was just kind of, I still had the angst of moving and sort of, detaching from people, from friends and starting afresh. And it shaped how I looked at relationships because I didn't look at relationships like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common. You're so amazing. Mm -hmm. It was like, how much time do I have left in this place before I'm moving? Mm -hmm. And how far can I, like, how far can I get the relationship? Because this is still again before like the days of social media and things like that. And, and I got to a point in my career, I'm like, I don't want that I don't want to make that compromise anymore. Like, I don't want to keep moving. I don't want to get paid to be miserable because I want to explore this. This There's something inside of me that wants out, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision in 2006 to get out. And I think oh, probably like, I, so I, I was in Miami because I was working in Southern or uh, Central America for my last assignment. So I drove to North Carolina where my, my parents were because that was kind of my nest and I was actually going to work for a company in North Carolina. Um, and I read a Sports Illustrator article about football players using yoga to strengthen their midsections. Okay. And this is like the, probably like the second, I mean, this is probably the day after I got home from Miami. Like I had all my stuff in my car or whatever. Okay. And so I went to a yoga class the following day and it was like a gentle yoga class. So what not not, you know, no sweat, no stress or anything. And I was kind of like, this is okay. I mean, it's not really like, I didn't, I didn't get sweaty. I didn't feel like productive necessarily, but I'm like, it could help with stretching for workouts and stuff. So uh, two days later, I went into a different class, different style instructor. I'm like drenched in sweat <laughs> and we're trying to do a bind with our hands. Oh yeah. I was trying to do one. That's very different from gentle. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so like, I can't get the bind because like I'm tight and I'm just watching the sweat drip onto the mat from my forehead. And the instructor comes by and just in this loving, graceful voice is like, use your hand towel. And so I grab my hand towel and I wipe my face and she's like, no, use your hand towel to bind your hands. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course that's what you meant. (laughs) And so I did it. But like, yoga was this next level thing. It was like, I, because I think what I realized was 
in the Marines, I didn't spend a lot of time behind a computer. And so the barrage of information that I found when I got out to corporate America was just overwhelming. I would leave the office and just have this deluge of information kind of churning through my head about to-do lists and tasks and reminders and meetings and things I forgot to do, things I had to do tomorrow. And it was just like too much. And I found when I got to a yoga mat, it just got quiet. And it was like, oh my gosh, what is that? Yeah. What is this thing about being aware? And, and and so that's like that transformed my life. I did yoga for a year and then I became an instructor and I've been teaching ever since. Cool. Well, I don't and I don't know if you know this, but I am one of the founders of Tribe, which we um, it's a nonprofit for bringing okay. yoga to the military. Uh, and and so I'm really curious to know, you know, you had this career of Marine, being a Marine, and then you found yoga after. I'm wondering now that you look back, can you see the parallels or could you see how yoga could have been beneficial for you uh, as a Marine? Oh, for sure. No, no doubt. And I should say, you know, so I, I mentioned that I went to Japan. So we went to Japan for three years when I was 10. And we lived on the military base, but like, I mean, Japanese culture was everywhere. It was Okinawa, Japan. And so you just go out and you saw like the festivals and how, like they have something called the Obon Festival where they honor their dead. And there's, you know, people marching through the street with these drums. And I was just blown away. And so in some ways that kind of kindled the romantic part of me. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, and, and, you know, so I remember as a teenager, before like before college, I was meditating. Like none of my friends were doing meditation. Mm-hmm. I was meditating. And but I also like I meditated, but it was very, you know, it was very I, I would have I became sort of fascinated by swords, like Japanese swords, the mm-hmm. samurai sword, the ninja sword, why they were different. And so I got like back then you could go to like something called the Franklin Mint and you could buy swords, replica swords of like Robin Hood. And so I'd like have a Japanese sword and I would put it. I I remember this because like my parents would be out for dinner. My brother would be off. My older brother would be out like doing normal teenage stuff. And Mm -hmm. it would be like a Friday night. I would be sitting in our living room on my knees and I'd put the sword in front of me thinking because that was I was reading a book and it was like about Shambhala and it was like stop thinking yeah. and like I would just try to like stop and wait for like this thought to pop in my head yeah. and it was really fumbling and disorganized but in some ways like I didn't realize then that like the the military was calling to me to to kind of pull something out of me mm-hmm. and I think when I look back at like the military and just you know, I was fortunate that I didn't have to, like, I was in combat in Somalia, but it wasn't, like, it, this is going to sound relative, like, it's, it wasn't intense combat. Like, yeah. they say that the only firefight that's, like, you know, not bad is the one you're not a part of. Yeah. And, you know, to be shot or, you know, be shot at is, like, it's, it's certainly a big deal, but, like, there wasn't, like, Somalia was very much a peaceful mission mm-hmm. until we understood the dynamics that playing there and how warlords worked and things like that. Um but I realized in some sense that, you know, I was always going to go down that path. And I think it was to see really to understand almost in some ways, how low a vibration Mm -hmm. that kind of feeling and the feeling of like, not necessarily rage, but like the, the, the proximity to danger 
in some sense, what kind of vibration that brings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to go into yoga where they have warrior poses Mm -hmm. and yet know it's a very peaceful posture is, you know, it was was kind of this transcendent moment that I, in some ways, still reconcile because um, it was just, there were parallels, but I think it took me a while to recognize them because I realized when I got out of the military, it wasn't just me getting out of my first career. It was me getting out of a way of life mm-hmm. that I had known since I was born. Yeah. And, and so, so kind of understanding how accepting and receptive yoga was, was a big enlightenment for me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you just, and that's interesting too. You said what time, how, what age was it that you got out of the military? I think it was 36. So yeah, you had 36 years of this life and then you decided to leave and you said you went into the corporate world and then also taught and immersed in the yoga world. What did that transition look like? Was that culture shock to you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Because yeah. And I'll I'll give you a funny story that kind of reminds us. So I'd been out, I think four months or so. And I was going, I'd gone to lunch with people, with employee, fellow employees. None of them worked for me directly, but we worked together. Okay. And we were walking up the stairs back into the office and the guy I was talking to, you know, I'd known him a couple months. And I remember I'd, I just colorfully said that I had to use the restroom <laughs> in a way that in the military would have been like, oh, really? Good luck. You know, hope everything works out. And he looked at me and he was like, keep it to yourself. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, civilians don't talk about that stuff. Like that. <laughs> Whoa. And it was, and, and honestly, I tell people, you know, and in some ways the company I worked for um, had such a great veterans presence. They very mm-hmm. much cared about the veterans and, and make, helping people make that transition. But you realize that there are different, very different boundaries. Yeah in civilian life and you kind of have to get close to people before you can share stuff. Whereas in the military, sometimes the ability to really be frank with one another is what creates the bond in the first place. And so that's how you kind of enter into relationships. Whereas in civilian life, it's much more kind of reserved and you kind of have to get a sense of feel for people. So for me, I mean, it almost felt like it took, you know, four or five years, honestly, where I wasn't comparing on a weekly basis, what happened in my yeah. Corporate life or even civilian life and what happened in military. Like it was that yeah. frame of reference all the time. Interesting. When you're speaking about it, you know, I, I can completely, and I wasn't in the military, but I've been, you know, around a lot of people who have been in the military or are in the military. Um, so I, I know what you're saying about the familiarity, but can you speak yeah. to that? Because I think from somebody who isn't, who hasn't been in, um, you know, in relationship to people in the military, they would kind of see it as more of like the ranking and it being more formal. Can yeah. you can you kind of speak to that a bit? Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest way to think of it is, you know, the military is all about something else. And what I mean by that is it's all about the unit or it's all about the mission. Yeah. And it's not to say that people aren't important. In fact, in the Marine Corps, we used to say there are two primary objectives of Marine Corps leadership. The first one is mission accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And the second one is troop welfare. And so what that tells you is the mission comes first. 
people come second. But as you go through your military career, you kind of realize it's mission first, but people always. Mm. And so what you find is the common ground that you have with anyone in the military, regardless kind of of their rank, their religious background, their gender, their race, whatever, is, hey, we've got this thing that we have to do, whatever it is. Yeah. We need to figure out how to make that work between you and I. And I think in the military, that's it's such easy ground to get to because you know that whatever this thing is, whether it's humanitarian mission like Somalia or warfare like Afghanistan and Iraq, is we're trying to do something to help people while keeping as many of us alive as possible and hopefully like treating the other people as humanely as possible too. And sometimes in combat, that's really hard, but I think, but that ability to say, Hey, this is what we need to do. And we're going to be better doing it together is much easier to come to in the military. Whereas in civilian life, like it's like, it's almost negotiation. Like what, what do you need from me in order to accomplish this so we can do something? And, you know, it's, I go back to, I always, it, it always kind of strikes a chord with me when I just see a headline or something that says, you know, the U.S. military is still the most trusted part of the U.S. government. And I was like, well, yeah, it's because like, that's where people are like kind of the least selfish mm-hmm. because selfishness gets people killed if you're like that. And I think that's, you know, until you've had that background and perspective, it's hard to put that as a framework for getting things done. That's why if you think of movies where like there's some disaster calamity, and there's the, like the police officer. Someone's like, this is what we got to do. We got to get this done. And people are like, who put you in charge? <laughs> and it's not about like, never mind that that guy has a great idea. And now someone's like, well, I don't want to follow you. And yeah. so they're like, oh, okay. So I, I think that's probably the biggest piece that, that sticks out and still sticks out to an extent this day. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, your, I want to kind of hear a little bit more about that transition into the corporate world. And then also, because sure. you're kind of looking at the military life, corporate world, yoga world, all three very different worlds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I'm guessing that you somehow found a thread through all of them from, because what you're doing now, you know, brings it all together in some way, I see. Yeah. Well, I think it was, you know, again, really for the first few years, it's, how do I do this? Yeah. Like, how do I function? And I remember I was getting ready to go across country to, I think we were having like a, a group managers meeting in San Jose, California. And so a bunch of us were on the same flight from Raleigh to, to San Jose. And I'd been with the company two or three years, I think. And, and there was someone who had been on our team for like, I don't know, six months, but we had become really good friends and we're talking at the airport and someone said, Oh, Dave, was this like when you're in the military? And this person's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you're in the military. And it was kind of a compliment because I'm like, oh, like I've sort of masked. <laughs> like I'm not someone who goes around and like never forget 9-11 or like, you know, it's yeah. not like, you know, I'm very proud of my service to my country, but it doesn't define who I am. Like it's yeah. like, there's so much more going on. And it was weird because in some ways yoga was almost um, it was almost like the moderator. And what I mean by that is 
in some ways, yoga was so, I mean, it was obviously so much different from the military. And in some ways I'd wish, you know, I'd practiced more meditation in the military. I never, I certainly, I can admit now, I never contemplated going to a yoga class when I was in uniform. It's just like, I don't even think, you know, they say you, you, what you think about, you see, or you manifest. I was never, I've never saw a yoga studio. I couldn't tell you, like yeah. I saw a yoga studio when I was in the Marines. I'd be like, Oh, what's that? Interesting. No, didn't pop up on the radar. Yeah. Um, but yoga was so different because, you know, in some cases it was people were super granola like and it was like, wow. And it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like, are you kidding me? But it was just like, oh, my gosh, like there's this way, way different side of life yeah. where people are, you know, women are referring to themselves as goddesses and there's this whole experience of this Hindu kind of family of gods that has symbolism that. I can't fully grasp and and I kind of, you know, shied away from it because it went against my Judeo Christian back Christian background. And it's kind of like, well, but but through the practice of yoga, and even without necessarily getting deep into the understanding of the Bhagavad Gita or things like that, you come to see like it it, it kind of in some ways tied me back to what I learned in Japan and this idea of you know, the Jap- Japanese culture to me was always about perfecting ceremony. And you think of the tea ceremony and things like that. And, and so it was like, there's this like stillness and oneness that you find internally when you start that journey. And, you know, in some ways that was kind of, like I said, it was almost like the anchor point between being in corporate America and figuring out how to do that and work with people without, you know, having to give orders necessarily, but trying to encourage people and let's talk about, you know, how we can make this better and sort of divorcing myself from the military where again, in no uncertain terms, I can tell you if you're messed up, I will let you know. And it's going to sound terrible, but at the end of it, we're both going to dust ourselves off and go proceed with what we need to get done. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was, but it was super, it was just, I don't know. It was, it was so fascinating to become exposed to go from almost one extreme to another from the military and and the Marines, which arguably is certainly the most disciplined of the the big services to something where yoga, where people are like just sort of free and peace and love and, like, okay, how am I going to balance these two worlds? Well, that, that makes me, that's interesting. What was the, what is the um, lineage that you practice or teach? You know, honestly, um, so I just do kind of a Hatha flow. Um, I I got my certification through yoga fit like in 2007, but I did a lot of, um, it's not Ashtanga. I can't even think of the word now. It was the, um, I'm blanking on it. It was the yoga, philosophy that was stood up created by an american and then like eight or nine years ago the guy was like he was abused like taking advantage of his clients and i can't even think i'm blanking on it well there's a lot of them unfortunately right now (laughs) yeah like i was i was blown away because it was such it was i mean oh my gosh this is terrible i I Um, think i know who you are you're saying anusara on you, sorry. Thank yeah. you. Yes, that yeah. was it. John yes, Price. and because it was like I love that it was all focused on like body alignment, and um, there's a great you know just outside of UNC, the university here in North Carolina, in Chapel Hill, there was a great instructor and his wife that I would go to, and he had this amazing 
level two plus class where like, you know, people were doing one handed or one armed handstands. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is so intense. But it was like, it was, it was beautiful. And I loved, I think if anything sort of guided me, it was on and going to this class. And I remember when this, you know, the story came out, I think in the New York times about the founder and what had happened. And, um, and I remember the community was kind of blown away. And then like, I stopped, I stopped going to his class. Just, I think work got busy. Um, you know, but it was like, it was like, wow, that, that's like, even something as seemingly benign and beautiful as yoga, you can still find kind of this corrupt seed yeah. of things. And, and that was, that was kind of a wake up too. Yeah. He, that was the first of, of, it, I think it was that or Bikram. I don't remember which one was first, but those two sort of led the way of showing us how corrupt yep. some of the yoga out there is. Yeah. So how did you find your way back to writing then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I, so I, you know, it, um, and I think in 2001 was, when uh, I started writing poetry, it was either 2001 or 2002. Okay. Uh, Cause I just started that job and, and there was like this sort of spring awakening where mm. I had a muse, this, this woman that I'd gone to a psychology class with had just been like super inspiring. And I would find, I remember I was at a Jiffy Lube getting my oil changed <laughs> and I grabbed a newspaper and like, I just tore off a piece of the newspaper and I wrote a poem and then I went home and transcribed it into like a, a paper. But, um, but it was just like, I knew there was like, it, it, that it, it fired something in me, it fueled something in me to write. And so, you know, that progressed. And I don't know that like in the, I don't know that I, I tried to write, I wanted to write novels. I wanted to write like a next scary Stephen King book, like okay. Pet Cemetery the scariest book I ever read. It was okay. just terrifying. And I wanted like, I, the idea that you could tell a story that would create such an emotional reaction to people was something that just drew and still to this day draws to me. Yeah. And, and so like, I would start, I think probably maybe what I did, maybe one attempt at a novel while I was in the Marines, I got out and then it was kind of there. And I was just like, I would just have these ideas and, and moving to North Carolina and like, you know, just seeing all the woods here. I mean, just incredible woods and going to places like Asheville in the mountains, which mm-hmm. has kind of a hippie but spiritual vibe to it. Yeah. And you sort of get in touch with like, ah, oh, there's there's something else in the world besides giant 70 ton steel and aircraft and battleships yeah. and all this other stuff. And, and so like, I wanted to write um, an evil spirit that had been trapped in a tree and this woman had been maintaining it and then the woman dies. And so what happens when the spirit gets out? And so I wrote like, I don't know, a hundred pages. And I was like, what do I do? Where's the story going? Like, I didn't have, like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so I kind of put that aside. And then um, I wrote, I, I think I, I got to a place where like, I still wanted to do like another horror story. I think I had something else, but I kind of want to make it not necessarily religious, but like spiritual with like what we knew. And so I got to a place where I was going to write a book called Belief. And it was going to be about like if the book of Revelation were real. And I, again, 100 pages in, like 
you know, okay, what am I doing? Like, all right. And then like, I put it aside and I got to a place where I'm like, well, I at least want to write the ending because I had this, I had this great vision that like things were happening. Like these, these comets had been traveling towards earth for hundreds of millions of years, but they were actually angels. And it's all sort of like the the cosmos were preordained. And so they were going to come hit the earth. And like, it was this really dramatic scene and the angels were like 12 feet tall and all that stuff. And it was a cool ending. And I was like, well, I I have no idea how I'm going to get from the beginning I wrote to what this is. And so I put it aside and I was like, ah, I don't know. And then in 2017, um, I read, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And uh, it was in January. And I'd actually, um, someone had recommended the book. And, you know, I kind of knew about the law of attraction, but like wasn't really tuned into it or anything like that. And so I think I just read the first two chapters of the book. And he talks about, you know, what's your purpose in life? And I was blown away, Phoebe. I was like, purpose in my life? What are you talking about? What do you mean? Like, because in the military, there's no purpose to your life. It's yeah. where do you want to go next? Yeah. And does the Marine Corps need you there? Yeah. And so that's a negotiation. So like I could go somewhere super cool, like geographically, like maybe Italy or something, but the job may not be that good. Mm-hmm. Or I could go to somewhere I know, like Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which is a small, it's a giant base, but like in small town America. Okay. But I could potentially do really cool things with, combat unit there and so the idea that my life had a purpose was I mean I was it kind of knocked me on my butt so I remember this was January and uh, I think I was still on like holiday break and so I grabbed a a notebook and I wrote a purpose statement and purpose of my life is true and it was something about writing like I wanted to write to compel people to do stuff and um for Christmas in 2016, someone had given me a whiskey and yoga t-shirt because yoga teacher, but like whiskey. And I, like, <laughs> I remember I had an Indian friend of mine who comes to class. We were talking about like whether he eats meat or if I could eat meat. Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, there's yoga for everything. Like, I'm like, so I can have whiskey? He's like, yeah, fine. And so I'm like, okay. So I, liked, I started to grow fond of whiskey because the Marine Corps is just kind of a beer guy. And... Um, so I'm like, you know, and it was January. I'm like, I'm going to write a book about helping people find their life purpose. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call it Whiskey and Yoga. And uh, and so I started writing and I wrote this like 200 page biography. Okay. And, and but the 200 pages only got to me like to Somalia. And so I realized like this is going to be 500 pages. <laughs> no one would care about how I found my purpose in life because mm-hmm. it doesn't really help them. So I'm like, I got to start from scratch. So I'd written for like three months. I put everything aside. I wrote a 10 chapter outline for a self-help book about helping people find their purpose in life. I wrote it in two months. Uh, it released in October of that year, number one on Amazon for self-help and yoga. And, uh, and then I kind of like it. And that was, that was like this crucible because I finally had written a book. I didn't know if I could yeah. write a book, even writing it. I like, I do this and I did it. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to make a part of my life was writing as a means of communicating ideas, thoughts, and compelling or, you know, encouraging people to action. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much there. So, 
<laughs> okay, so you were writing in 2000, you said one or two, the, the beginning and the, the end. The poems in 2001. Yeah. Oh, and then the, the beginning and the end of this, the like the revelation. Oh, the belief book? Yeah, that was 2006, seven-ish? Um... And we're still waiting. It was, for probably, it was probably later. Like I think it's probably I probably started it in maybe two thousand nine or ten, okay. and then went back to it like in thirteen. And so, it's just and like it never completed. We're we're not waiting I, for release date, are we? I don't. Th- it, you know, it's not. Um, I think no. I, I'm not going to complete that version because I okay. think the book that I'm writing now is also about belief, but it's about belief in the world we live in. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I think, I, I think my time as a horror writer may be done. I'm not sure, but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, yeah, there, there's, I've, I've probably written three or 400 pages, never mind the, the biography piece of stuff that I'll probably never go back to. So, and, and that's kind of the journey of a writer too. Yeah. Like you write stuff and like, and I journal now, and there's times when like I've I just journal something and I look at it and it's like okay, and then there's times when I'll be upstairs you know making a sandwich and then this thought comes in I'm like oh my gosh and I run downstairs yeah. and I write and I'm like oh that's beautiful it's so cool so it's like that's there there is a process to becoming a writer and kind of finding the voice for a subject and that's pretty that's a pretty beautiful thing to be a part of yeah. Oh, well, I really appreciate hearing you you say that about, you know, having three or 400 pages and might not even ever get published because I've, I've written my own bit of, uh, my own autobiography and put it on the shelf and now I'm revisiting in some way and it's going to transform into something else. Um, so it's nice to hear from you who's already out there doing it, but I'm also amazed by you. So you set this intention at the beginning of 2017, you released it, what, like three months later, you said, was this, um, well, no. So I started in January, I got to April and I scrapped the biography piece. And then from April to June, I wrote the self-help whiskey and yoga and then that released in October. Oh, it released in October. And then you, you hit like number one, when? Like, uh, it, it, the day it released, like I had, a, I had a, like a, a campaign, nice. a launch date, you know, launch party kind of thing. I had people supporting it. And, awesome. um, my, my publisher was like, you know, they were sending me updates throughout the day. And then I think like, I still have it somewhere, but I think, I think it was like eight thirty that night and it was number one yoga, number one self-help. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have a number one book, international bestseller. Like I, and I had, I remember I had a 41 year old bottle of scotch. Um, (laughs) And so I had, I had a glass of that scotch. Did you have it in a warrior Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it never lasts long. It tastes amazing. And you're like, I, it's so good. I have to have more. And then like a week later, like, Oh, there's $500. I'm not going to see again, but okay. That's amazing. Well, I want to talk to you offline about that whole process. Yeah, <laughs> but for sure. Um, but you know that that is really inspiring. And I read a little bit about whiskey and yoga, and I'm going to put it on my my Amazon list. Um, oh, thank you. But I loved how you you were just a little blurb. You were talking about you know whiskey and yoga. They both have spirit in a container. Yep. Can you speak to that? I mean, I just love that little description. Yeah, little well, I, like when I when I got the T-shirt for Christmas, it, yeah. I get it's supposed to be this ironic sort of like yeah. thing, even though I know like there are bars in Austin, Texas, where you can order a drink and there are people behind you doing yoga. And it's yeah. like this weird thing. But I know yeah. there's like, I mean, there's 
like I said, there's every shade of yoga. There's nude yoga. There's heavy metal yoga. Take your pick. Um, And I think it was for me, like for some reason that just called to me because it was in some ways it was, it was almost like these two sides of me, like whiskey amateur and yoga instructor. Mm -hmm. And, and I liked it and I, you know, I could sort of start to visualize the ideas for the cover and my, like initially my cover was going to have like a Harley Davidson with a yoga mat in one of the saddlebags. And I thought that'd be really kind of cool and ironic. And, um, and then I just worked with people and we ended up having like whiskey casks, but they had like the own symbol on them or they had Buddha. And then some of them would have like regular whiskey stuff. And it was, you know, for me, it was like, well, how can I really bring these things together? Like, if I'm going to call the book Whiskey and Yoga, I better have a thread that brings yeah. them together besides a T-shirt. And <laughs> I kind of thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, they really are the, both of the story of a spirit. And for whiskey, it's in a cask. Yeah. And that's how you age whiskey. And for a yogi, it's this, this conscious thing inside me that's behind kind of my mind and my body that's experiencing this existence on this planet. And that's a journey too. And I'd look at, you know, certainly I could look at this awkward teenager who meditated with a sword in his parents' living room to someone who joined the military, to someone who became a yoga instructor, to someone who like kept kind of digging at this thing inside until like this fountain of, love and other stuff came out and and so that's what brought me to calling it whiskey and yoga and and that it is really the spirit that ties them together yeah when you were just speaking i was thinking there's i i sometimes kind of play with this idea of my past self and future self and you know what would be future self calling me forward and it it really sounds like there was this child in Japan, you know, sitting there meditating, you know, not knowing that he's meditating with the samurai yes. sword. And here you are, this, you know, future self, you being here now, going and speaking to him, you know, speaking to him, telling him, you know, kind of whispering in his ear this direction to take. No, and I, th- and I think it's, you know, part of, and I, I know we'll, we'll talk about it, part of this, my 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 latest book yeah. you know, started out as a conversation between two voices, yeah. and it was one was the voice of conditional love, okay, and one was the voice of unconditional love, and that was the only identity they had. It wasn't that it wasn't that one was a uh, you know executive from Minnesota and the other one was from Thailand. Like it was just these two voices, mm. and you know, part of what the book has led me to ask is like, what is the ultimate expression of love? Mm. And it's not, you know, if you believe in whatever you want to call the universe, divine God or whatever, if you believe there's something else, well, then there's got to be an expression that is divine that we can also understand. And, and that for me has been such a part of, you know, coming to this. And I realized like when I look back on, all the lessons I learned through the course of my life so far, it's been, yeah, there are some things I I made terrible mistakes and I beat myself up and I repeated patterns because I didn't know that I had patterns I was repeating. Mm. Like I didn't realize I'd created these schemas. And then to realize that when you start to kind of contact with the self and you really start to go internal to like make the discovery of who you really are, 
it, it really kind of opens things up and it's in some ways it's both, I don't want to say terrifying, but it's, it's daunting to, to start to understand like the divine aspect of your own existence. But then there's like this unbelievable beauty and you're like, why well, I, I want more of that because I've had enough of the stuff where I've beat myself up or I've hurt myself or I've hurt other people. Yeah. And now I want this beautiful journey to continue. So like, how do I, what do I have to do to get more of that? And that's been like the, the best thing about journaling over the course of the pandemic has been, like there's some things that have taken my breath away to the point where like I tired after writing them and kind of understanding what they've meant. But at the same time, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just wrote something that is like so sublime. If I can work that into my next book, people are going to be like, I mean, it's just going to like make people's hearts swoon. I'm like, that. that's like, again, I want to, I want to create that emotion to people. Good. Yes. We need that out here. <laughs> oh, we do. And you were talking uh, before we started recording about this process and you just kind of hinted at it too in this, the, the book of having these two different voices. And you were telling me a little bit about the process of handwriting and then typing. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Like where, how did yeah, that you know, happen? I've, and I love learning about the process of, you know, everybody's process. So, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's so interesting because in so many ways we look at technology as this, relief and it's made life so much easier and i remember like our first computers in the military are these giant green boxes and they're basically just printers excuse me and we would write like we would have our daily morning report that we would have to share up to um the, like our headquarters and how many marines were present how many were sick how many were on vacation whatever but you'd print it out and then you still had to walk it across to the headquarters office and then we're like oh well, this thing called email is coming and like you won't have to walk anymore you just send it, it was like it's gonna be so easy like life is gonna be so good well <laughs> that's not what happened like life became super manic because now people are getting like two thousand emails a day yeah. and it's like well, how can i process this and and same thing same thing with word documents and and like powerpoint and, and office and things like that it's so cool that i can say oh my gosh take a look at what i just wrote yeah. and send it to you, you know, across hundreds of thousands of miles in an instance. But like when I started the next book, like I, the whole purpose of the book was about more who we are is more important than what we do. And, and the premise of the first chapter was talk, talking about Caligula and how like he, he built this bridge over a bay of water just because an astronomer said he'd be a bad emperor and he was mm. going to prove the guy wrong. And yet he wasted thousands of hours. He'd like drain grain resources stupid thing but he did to prove a point that's what we do we do things to prove a point like I, i'm tougher than you i can do this whatever and i wrote the first chapter and kind of laid out the rest of the book and i'm like this isn't right i guess not i'm just I'm, I'm gonna write another book just another book where i'm gonna go talk to like you know jack canfield when i spoke to him is like talk to the ceo of ford and i talked to um this woman who'd written a great book and I, you know, I got some stuff from her, but I'm like, that's not the book I want to write. Like, mm. I don't, I don't want to just write another book. And I don't know what compelled me, but I grabbed a notebook, I grabbed two different color pens, and I just started writing. And the first pen, and it wasn't, it wasn't even like Phoebe. I would write, I wasn't writing a page. On some, I would just write a sentence, mm -hmm. and then I would turn the page. And, but like the book started to get this weight to it, and it was like. The first, the first pen, will, you know, if the green pen will say, it was like, hey, I want to tell you a story. And 
a long time ago, the, the world you live in was a much different place in the universe. Here's, but here's what I've been. I've been a king. I've been a tyrant. I've been a madman. I've been a friend, a father, a lover. And then, like, I just kind of wrote. And then something's like, well, grab the other pen. Mm. And so I grabbed a blue pen. And this voice was kind of this contrarian voice. And it was like, it's kind of like a New York, hey, Brooklyn, hey, you know, <laughs> like, hey, life's tough sometimes. You know, you got to take your chops. And, and, this dialogue developed between the two. And I wrote, like I wrote the first version in a weekend and it was so weird because it was like 115 pages. Wow. But it took you about 20 minutes to read. And I gave it to my mom and she read it. And she was like, Oh, David, this is heavy. I'm tired. And it was this, and it was because like, even I realized subconsciously because now that had these two voices that even where I wrote on the page meant something different. And if I wrote like in the top left hand of the page, it was like a superior idea or thought. And if I wrote in the bottom right hand of the page, it was like a less superior, less ideal thought. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, these two ideas, you know, these two voices started having a conversation. And I think by the second version, the second draft, like, so the second weekend, this is probably in, you know, the middle of April this year, um, I got a third pen. Mm -hmm. And the third pen was the voice of the two pens combined. Oh, and it was this voice being like, I remember you. Like, I remember that we used to be this one entity. Mm. And I was like, what am I writing? Like, what is this? Yeah. And so I kept, probably for like three or four weeks, I kept rewrite. I kept rewriting it every weekend. And I guess that's what you do in a pandemic. Like, all right, well, I have nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just write. And the story kept getting more elaborate. And then it started to get real texture like in terms of like identifying people and feelings and, and it became like this love story, but it was this very deep, deep love story. And, and it got to a point in May where I couldn't finish the story anymore. Like I'd finish it every weekend and then come back the next weekend and like add a little bit more and feel like I'm done. And then, cause I remember like I was, I'd actually entered in February a, um, like a, a, pre-order kind of campaign where they funded like crowdfunding thing okay. and uh, didn't have the book really polished or ready yet, but like, okay, I'll do this. Got 88 pre-orders or, or something enough to get like 13 or 14 publishers interested. And I couldn't, I couldn't finish the book in May. And I like, I could see these pieces that were supposed to come together, but I couldn't, I couldn't write it. Mm-hmm. And so I went away from the book for about two or three weeks and I came back to it like in June and like, it was different. Like I, 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 it was almost like I felt the book saying like, you'll write me when I'm, when I tell you you're ready to write me. And <laughs> I was like, okay. Right. And so I just started journaling yeah. and through the course of journaling, like the story progressed and I thought, well, gosh, maybe the journaling is going to become part of the story. Mm-hmm. And then I realized to tell a really good story, you have to let the voice sort of create itself. And that's something that you can't necessarily rush. And so that's why when I look at back at 300 pages that I've written of horror stories that I'm never going to use, that's okay because I had to write those pages to kind of get them rid of them. And in a similar sense now, like I haven't really, I haven't set a date in my head that, okay, I'm going to definitely start writing the book as of this day. Part of it's because going to a mastermind with Jack Canfield and him saying you've got a year is 
this really weird thing, but it's also sort of been this relief because I'm like, okay, here's someone who I've never met before who knows something about me that I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take it as a sign from the universe that I've got a year and let's just see how that plays out. And then it's, you know what, continue to refine your voice. And so it's continue to write, but don't, don't let, don't try to steer the writing in a way, like let the wait yeah. for the feeling to come. And when that feeling comes, it's not necessarily don't get overly excited about it, but you kind of have to stay this Zen state. Like, okay, let me see where this goes. And like, I wrote something, I pulled my, um, one of my journals out, I think last Friday, I just had this spurt of inspiration and I wrote this amazingly beautiful piece of a story. And I don't know, it may have taken me 15 or 20 minutes. It was like a page and a half of dialogue between a mother and her son, but it was like, it was, I mean, it was super powerful and super beautiful. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to see where this goes. Yeah. And like, like I got to, I finished a part of it and I'm like, that's it. Like there, I don't know, I don't know the next part. And so rather than sort of trying to force this voice to come out, it was like, okay, let it go. And just know that that was a really beautiful thing. And hopefully there's an opportunity to expand on that, you know, somewhere down the line. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. When you're when you're speaking about it, I was thinking. I don't know if you've ever seen Elizabeth, one of Elizabeth Gilbert's uh, TED talks about a gen- having a genius. No. Oh, I will send that to you. Please do. <laughs> uh, because a lot of what you're speaking uh, about your experiences. She was talking about you know this idea of how we used to say that a genius was. You're not a genius. But it's something outside of yourself. Like you even use the word muse. Yeah, that's another word that we used to use. But we've somehow, specifically as writers, right, that you're a genius. Yeah. And that has created so much um, anxiety and depression with a lot of artists, specifically writers she was focusing on. But how? Because now it's like if that genius doesn't show up, then like... Uh, you know, you oh, yeah. and, and it sounds like you just, I mean, I don't know, you can speak to this, but it sounds like even just back in 2001, when you started to write the poetry, it sounds like you have really honored your genius. It's like, oh, genius is here. Oh, it's gone. And, and you're really unattached to, you know, what you were just saying of having written 300, 400 pages, and it's never going to be done. And that's okay. You had to Kind of that was what was calling you to the writing pad, but um, but it was okay because that's the, that was the vehicle, but you, it wasn't the thing. Well, and and that's honestly, and it's so true. And I remember specifically with the poem Achilles, like I still have a copy of it. It's it's something like when I I don't know. It's a weird way to like introduce my writing to people. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a writer, and like, hey, hell, I'll send you the poem I wrote, you know, 19 years ago if you want to read it. Yeah. But I remember specifically the whole idea for the poem was a pomegranate. Mm-hmm. And I just had this idea and it was that Achilles would look at a pomegranate and think of all the seeds as basically lives he had taken. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wrote like the first paragraph and it was pretty strong. It was like a conversation or it was like he, he was there with King Agamemnon and they were talking and like, Agamemnon was talking about he didn't see like the value of like digging into a pomegranate because it was so much effort so for so little reward which is kind of a, a reference to warfare like mm-hmm. so much effort so little reward 
and I wrote the first stanza and then I kind of got stuck and I was like, what am I like, where does this go? Like, where do I take this? Like, what is, what is Achilles voice? Because really the first stanza was just kind of setting the stage and Agamemnon has some sarcastic kingly thing to say. And then it was like, okay, who is Achilles? And I couldn't get to it. It was, it was just kind of weird. And so, but then like, I wasn't super frustrated because I just kind of started writing again. So like I, I set it aside for about a week or 10 days and I didn't really give it a much thought. I went to work, did Marine Corps stuff. And then one day I got home and I was like, okay, I think I've got it. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed the paper and I wrote like the next page and a half in like 30 or 45 minutes. And it was just this flowing epic of how his whole life had been focused on like, proving his valor in combat and the only person left that he had he absolutely wanted to kill was Hector mm-hmm. and at the same time he knew that his time was coming short and I remember like the end of the poem was like I know that like the fates are clipping the wings of my whatever I've done but I only have one seed left and then like my hunger will be satiated for eternity and it was like this sweep I mean just yeah. so cool and I was like oh my gosh and I realized that was that was like me finding the voice of Achilles that I wanted to give to this. And it, it mm-hmm. took, you know, 10 days or whatever. Well, you know, fast forward 19 years or whatever, and being in a pandemic and and coming to this unbelievably beautiful love story that I'm like that's a part of me, because it's obviously it's coming from me, but I'm also in the story, is like, oh my gosh. And so I'd write these versions and I was like, I was enamored with the story. And I was like, where is this taking me? And so when it kind of stops and you're like, whoa, no, 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 no. We, we gotta come back to this. Like, yeah. this is super awesome. Yeah. And it was friction. Like I remember writing and like getting upset because I was like, where is this going? And I'd actually, I remember I had actually talked to, uh, I had a publisher, like I had a big name publisher, a big name agent. And I'm like, this story is like, a universal love story that's true and it's going to change the world. And I sent them a version like, oh, okay. And I'm like, all right, no, that's not it. Cause I, I knew I wasn't finished with the version. So I like wrote them another version, like in a weekend and sent it to them. And I'm like, okay, that's not it either. And finally, like I, I, I went to the person, I'm like, listen, I've lost the voice. I'll come back to you when I have it. And then the agent was like, Hey, we're here for you. We know this is hard. We get the story. Like, this is a big story, but take your time. And, and honestly, Phoebe, the fact that Jack, Jack Canfield told me I had a year in some way, you think that's a constraint in a lot of ways for me, it's been a lifeline because it's been like, you know, I don't know if he meant calendar year. I don't know if he meant, I think it was like the spring equinox, March 20th, when I was at the mastermind with him. Okay. You know, if I wait till March, I don't know if I wait till you know, my birthday's in April. Certainly I had some big, you know, experiences then, yeah. but it was just like, you know what? Honor that voice. Yeah. And when you feel it, go with it. Yeah. When you don't live your life, nurture your life, be loving, be kind, and just wait for that voice to kind of gather itself. Mm-hmm. And and that is in some ways for me, certainly as beautiful as the story is, you know, as, as beautiful as I see the story and I kind of have a sense of the ending of the story, that's been the hardest part because it's like, I, this is so beautiful. I want to share this 
immediately. Like I would read this. I, in fact, I did in, I think in May, um, I had like this super short version of, of the ver you know, of the book. It was still only 110 pages or whatever, 20 minutes, really intense. Mm -hmm. And I read it live on Instagram because okay. I was like, because back then I was like, this is it. This mm -hmm. is the book. This is going to change everything. Okay. And I read it and I'm like, okay, it's not, it's not really compelling. And part of it is like, you'd have to see it to believe it. Like it's that kind of story. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, well then I'm not there yet. So um, that's, that's been a tough part of the journey, but it also comes back to how bad do you want the story? Because it's like, if you want the story, then you'll go through the process of what it takes to be able to write that story. And I think for writers, when I look back at the 300 pages that I'm never going to use, it's like, yeah, this stuff wasn't great. Yeah. The stuff I've written in my journals now is stuff that like makes my heart flutter. Mm. And that's like, okay, I, I want to, I want to figure out what that is and let's negotiate between voices and whatever that, whatever that voice says, Hey, I'm inspired. Let's write. Then I'll honor that. But, but I think that's, you know, for any writer, I think that's, um, you know, that's an obstacle that you have to kind of face and, and get to that Zen moment of harmony. Yeah. Oh, well, we're probably releasing this uh, in 2021 around okay. like end of February, early March. Perfect. So it'll be awesome to, you know, I'll check in with you and put in a little update. Please our, do, for sure. In the, in the after so we can see that, oh my gosh, it was a year later. But, you know, you're releasing it. But, and oh, just a side note, when's your birthday? Uh, April 11th. I'm April, April 11th. 10th. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have to be in touch. Yes. All the little Zoom birthdays. Um, awesome. I love it. So I just, and I love really listening to you and your process and, you know, how, like, oh, like they you. said, again, like just honoring what it is and letting genius or your muse just, you know, help you here. And um, yeah, I am really excited to see it come out. And and then you have, and then this other book that is it's already out, right? The Lighthouse, right? Can you? The Lighthouse Keeper came out Lighthouse. this year. Yep. Yeah, that already came out. And do you yep. want to speak to that a little bit too? Yeah. So I did. The, I did the one thing that you're not supposed to do as a writer, at oh. least as a, a, a beginning writer. You know, someone who's starting the publishing world. But I wrote a self help book, yeah. and then I wrote a fiction story. Okay. Why um, is that not but, allowed? But again, it's not. It, it, wasn't for me about like how can I m make lots of money I mean it wasn't it wasn't like I got to keep my genre so I can build my brand wow. it was this is my journey yeah. and actually in whiskey and yoga I mentioned the lighthouse and it was something that I taught in yoga I said you know your mind is this ocean this vast ocean where all your memories are everybody you've ever met is there and your awareness is this lighthouse mm. And through the course of our lives, we create patterns or schemas. And so the lighthouse kind of tends to go in a regular direction. You're scanning different parts of the ocean, but it's similar because that's what you've created out of your life. And I said, you know, through the practice of meditation, through the practice of discipline and willpower, you can get to a place where you start to direct where you send your awareness. And you think, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means what we focus on matters. And any moment in our lives, we can choose to what we focus on. But when we create patterns of focusing on negative things or focusing on limiting beliefs, then that constrains our lives. And so I, I mentioned this in yoga class. I wrote, I wrote it in, in whiskey and yoga. 
And I, and it, like the, the idea was kind of cool. I was like, that's kind of cool. It's a neat premise. And I had, I'd said a couple times before, you know, um, your life is a movie and like, you're the director with the camera, but what are you focusing on? Is it a tragedy? Is it comedy? Is it rom-com? What? And I actually wrote an article this year for a magazine about the same thing, how to make your life into a movie. But I like the lighthouse keeper. And so, you know, fast forward, I think to, gosh, I think it was like December of 2018 or maybe January, 2019. And I had, I was watching a video from um, Don Dapani, uh, a Hindu monk who I think was based in New York. Now I think he and his wife are moving to Costa Rica. Okay. But um, he said the same thing. Your your awareness is this orb of light and your mind is this vast space and you can move your awareness anywhere mm. in your mind that you want. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's the lighthouse keeper. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to write a story. And it was, I knew, I knew that I didn't want to do a self-help book about mm. mastering your mind. I wanted to do a story and the premise was that this young young man doesn't want to inherit his family business. His mom has died. Um, he doesn't want to be a chicken farmer. So he tells his dad, hey, I know my friend's brother went to this lighthouse to learn how to be a lighthouse keeper from this guy. I want to go do that. And so he embarks on this journey. It's this isolated you know, lighthouse in the middle of the ocean. And through that, he goes on a journey with the lighthouse housekeeper who's there and figures like wrestles with how to master his mind and it's it's a really cool for me it was a really cool story to write because he goes on this journey kind of in his mind um and visits sort of the past it's almost sort of like um a dickens thing you know past present the future but he's he's with his mind the entire time and um it was just a really cool story i was really excited and and i could tell that i had advanced as a writer from whiskey and yoga to the lighthouse keeper and uh, the book uh, released in May, uh, it's doing really well. I've gotten uh, some great reviews on it, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. Awesome. That that sounds right up my alley. I mean, and I, I understand in terms of marketing, there's different genres, but I really hear this thread through all three of these books. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's beautiful. I just say you just keep doing you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is that that's what – you have to understand what that means for you too, right? Yeah. Like you doing you, well, what does that really mean? And I look at like my life this year, and I think for many of us, yeah. again, it comes down to what you focus on. My life has become this amazing adventure. You know, I've, I've departed from so many patterns and habits, some of it through force of the pandemic, but some of it through like looking at my life and being like, how can I improve this area of my life? How can I change this area? How can I be more present? Yeah. And a lot of that is like, you know what? Stop going to try the traditional route that everybody else goes because you know where that gets and it feels sort of competitive and we have to keep up with the Joneses and stuff like that. And just do your own thing and figure out what that takes you. And honestly, Phoebe, that's been like, even though some of this, you know, certainly this writing process and certainly this year has been hard, but I'm also like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like, I don't want to stop discovering where this is going. And I watched, it's funny, I watched last night um, with a friend, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller. And yeah, it's very much, I haven't gone, if you've seen the movie, I haven't dived into Arctic waters with sharks or anything. But um, but it's sort of the same thing. Like, your life has a message for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just the one little thing that you're like, why did that happen? And that pulls, you know, you pull in this thread and it takes you deeper. And like that's, every one of our lives is like that. You just have to have the courage to be like, okay, 
I'm going to follow this because even though it's off the beaten path, it feels amazing. And I really want to see where this journey takes me. Yeah. I'm on that. I'm on that boat too. Awesome. (laughs) And, you know, and when you were just speaking about how the pandemic and, you know, and how you were just saying about, you know, you already know what that path is going to be keeping up with the Joneses path. I think that also what we've been learning is that we don't know. That's what a lot of us, we thought we were going to have that, you know, corporate job or, you know, there was so much that we, you know, was, we thought was planned out and we were, you know, just walking that, that path. But I think that that's what's really happened too, is it's diverted all of us. And it sounds like you were already preparing for it unconsciously in a lot of ways by taking this path of, of writing and, and also teaching yoga. Um, it was prepared. I just, I'm connecting with a lot of people like you that I feel were being prepared prior to this. And it's almost like you needed to pre- be prepared for it to help the people who were going to be, you know, in the terms of the morning, like that waking up of the pandemic yeah. of like, ah, you are here with your, your books and your teaching um, and, and your various ways. Cause I know you're also a coach too. And, and it sounds like you, yeah, life was preparing you for this moment in time to be one of these, these teachers. So I think so. It's interesting because what I shared in my, um, to my, my uh, subscribers for my uh, email blogs is, um, you know, I look back the biggest, the, the most memorable Christmas for me was 1992 mm-hmm. because for the first 22 Christmases of my life, it had been with family Christmas trees, Santa Claus, nativity scenes, eggnog, the works. Christmas number 23, Mogadishu, Somalia, you know, a degree off the equator, um, unbelievable poverty, but common, the common thought or theme of doing good. I remember Christmas Day, 1982, we escorted a food convoy to help provide food to people in Somalia, in the capital. And you know, it was this beautiful moment. And in some ways, I remember I was talking with a CBS reporter, like we're at the, we're at the port facility in Mogadishu and like there wasn't a lot going on. And so Bob Simon was a reporter and he had a, he had a cameraman with him and we're just talking. It's like, it's maybe a week or two before Christmas. And I was talking, I'm like, man, what a better way to spend Christmas. Hmm. And he was like, can you say that again? Hmm. And I'm like, sure. And so he gets the camera and we do it. But it didn't, like, I remember the second time I felt it, I remember, like, I knew, I was, like, thinking about my family. Yeah. I wasn't with my family. And in some ways, that was hard. But in another way, it was, like, this crazy adventure. Like, I never thought I would be in Africa. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I'd be helping people, like, who are going through famine. Mm-hmm. And and granted, Somalia still isn't necessarily a great state today. But, like, the intent of what we're doing was like this noble and right thing. And it was this good cause. And like, I look back on that and I'm like, you know, in some ways I didn't know what, you know, the weird thing about combat and being in the military and something like that is there'd be days where we would just sit around for eight hours trying to, trying to stay as cool as possible, which basically meant trying not to move because the heat was like kind of the sauna that you could feel. Yeah. And, um, but then like you get to a place where you're like, this is, this is our shared experience and it is an adventure and you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but you know, it's going to be okay because it's always you know, kind of life always gets better. 
And I look at, you know, today where so many people in March or April thought, oh, you know, we're getting back to normal pretty quickly. I was, I was a person on calls with like worldwide teams. Like this is normal. Like what is happening right now is normal. Forget what you knew January, February, because that's gone and may never come back. This is normal and it's okay. And I remember what I tell people is in Somalia that year, we didn't have a Christmas tree. So like I grabbed tent stakes and I made like a, a, like a six foot kind of tree. And we got cardboard boxes that used, that were used to put our food in and we cut out things that looked like a Christmas tree. Mm. And then we took like the little chemical glow sticks that the military uses that you break open and shake. And it's like bright green, or bright orange. And we made those ornaments and then underneath the Christmas tree, we put the food, the, bo- the bags of food, the MREs that, that Marines ate. And that was Christmas. Yeah. And it was like, that was a different experience. But I can't tell you like any other Christmas experience, but I can tell you that one yeah. because it stands out. And so I think like not always knowing what the future holds is okay if it makes you appreciate the present more. And I think for me, yeah. certainly on the spiritual journey of 2020, like being grateful for every day and not, you know, not sort of, I almost want to say not sort of neglecting the present moment because, oh, tomorrow I got to go to the gym and then two weeks we're going to Costa Rica. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. In three months we're doing this. Like not having that stuff out there is like, oh my gosh, I have so much more of me that I can bring into this moment. How can I make this moment really valuable? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think we need to end there. How do we make this moment more valuable? I love that it. That is the yeah. message. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, I, I really could just talk to you all night, but I do want to have your time it's too. <laughs> well, let's just have you come back. Um, so David, you know, we've talked about your books. They're all, where can we buy them? How can we find you if we want to, you know, yeah, so uh, davidrichardsauthor.com. So yeah. my books are there. Uh, also invite uh, your listeners to subscribe to my blogs where we give updates uh, on Amazon as well. I'm on social media as David Richards Author. Awesome. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. What is Likewise, Phoebe. Thank yeah, you so much. It's a great surprise. You know, like I said, I didn't know what I was going to get. And we just, we went to lots of different places. So. Oh, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed our time with David. He was such a, he is such a unique, special human being. I really enjoyed hearing his process of writing, and I hope you did too. And go ahead and buy one of his books over there uh, at his website. You can click on the show notes again and find out more about him and where to find his books. I have my list of books that I want to read. I'm in the middle of reading like five right now, and he's next on my list, so I can't wait to get into that. Um, What else? Let's find you if you're searching around on the internet. Come on, visit us at nomadalwaysathome.com. We have our beautiful community membership that's happening. Only $40 a month you get one event or all of the events, whatever you want to do, come visit us and join us for one of, for our events that are happening every month. And um, if you want to work a little bit more deeply, you can join my Who Are You Becoming six-week course. This is a course where you can sign up and do all of it on your own. It's a self-paced course. Or if you want a little bit more guidance, you can sign up for the option to join me for six weeks where we'll meet once a week 
every week for those six weeks and I'll give you a bit more guidance there within a small group so you get to connect with our nomad community as well as myself and I'll I'll mentor you through anything that you you need you know you need and that if you're feeling there's an obstacle there I'll give you some resources to work with and really take it into action because we need you to be you and I'm here in any way that I can to help you do that and if you're a Listening to Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can leave a review or or rate us. We'd love that. We'd be so grateful for that or share it with a friend because we need to keep spreading love. Get this word out, this beautiful nomad community. Share it with people. Don't hide us. Share it with the world. All right, my friends, have a beautiful one.